It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. This is your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. It's always a joy to have the opportunity of chatting to another great of Australian sport on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. That's what we're doing today. My guest today is living proof that nice guys don't always have to not be able to cut it in sport because he was a champion for 332 AFL games, most of them for the North Melbourne Football Club at the end for the West Coast Eagles. His name is Drew Petrie. I've also had the pleasure of sitting alongside him in the commentary box on more than one occasion. And we join him from the West. Drew, how are you going, mate? Good, Peter. Thank you very much for the kind introduction. And, uh, yeah, all is going well over here in the West, uh, a little over 12 months into our venture, I'm still here. Well, how do you put up with that rubbish weather all the time over there when it's, you know, between 25 and 30 degrees, blue skies, lovely beaches? It must be pretty tough. Yeah, I'm actually quite bored of seeing blue sky <laughs> and not gloomy grey skies. Um, but yeah, it's very, very livable city over here in Perth, and uh, we've been, really enjoyed our time here. It was something... Uh, I never thought I'd do in life is to play for another club or move move cities. Um, but when the opportunity arose, we, we've taken it, and uh, I'm really glad I did. What are you actually doing over there now, Drew? I still work at West Coast. Uh, the department I work in is called the Game Development Department. So that, in short, uh, involves working with female footballers and Indigenous and multicultural footballers and just training them and, and identifying some talent in those in those um, three groups I mentioned and, and hopefully picking a few stars that can represent West Coast in female footy in 2020 um, and also Indigenous and multicultural pathways just sort of growing and, and engaging in those communities to, to develop some of those players as well. So it's a bit of a broad type of role but it's uh, I guess it's a community based and a football engagement based kind of role. Do you see yourself doing that long term? Are you going to be in the West for a long time or have you given yourself a bit of a timeline? I haven't really given ourselves a timeline. Uh, my family's really enjoying Perth and I still feel like I'm in a transition phase of my life after playing footy for 17 years. Um, I think the next few years will be a transition phase and I've got a great job and I'm working at a great football club for the moment and learning so many fantastic skills. So. Um, there's no time frame. I've got a young family who in sort of five or four years' time, secondary school will be on the radar. So that's when the decision might have to be made about whether we want to head back. But for the moment, uh, we're just, we are taking it year by year. 
Now, having worked with me, Drew, you'll know that this chat will be all over the place. It'll go in all sorts of uh, different <laughs> directions. So let's start at the end. And you talked about yeah. the fact that you didn't necessarily think that you would be in Perth, seeing we're talking about you being over there. Did you think long and hard about it when you came to the end of your career at North Melbourne? You were told that you were coming to the end of your career. I guess the lure of being a one-club player was always something that you had in the back of your mind? Yeah, it was. Um, I was never going to leave North Melbourne uh, throughout my, my time there. And each year, you know, a few months out, generally a few months out from a contract expiring, a new one would get done. And, and that changed a little bit in my last couple of years. But I never entertained any offers whilst I was in the midst of or in the prime at, at North Melbourne of, of leaving the club. But I suppose when the the club and, and Brad and Cameron Joyce said to me that there was no longer a position available. Um, that's when that's that's when you, those thoughts of one club player and would you ever leave really come to you and uh, and and hit you between the eyes. So I, I was never going to ring around or get my manager to see if any other club wanted me. The phone rang and it was West Coast inquiring about if I wanted to go on for one more year. So I wasn't going to shop myself around, but because they rang, um, I entertained the idea and I spoke to a lot of people about, should I do it? Um, And the common response from those people were, do I think I can still play another year of AFL to to the required standard? And I believed I could. So that that did make the decision um, a lot easier. And I, I talked to a lot of people, family, my wife, obviously, um, and some current and former teammates about what their thoughts were. And overwhelming support was to go on and have a crack at it and just do something different. So uh, that really gave me the backing and the support and confirmed in my mind that it was worth doing. So uh, it, was a, it was a decision that was an easy one after some, some long conversations with uh, those close to me. You know what it's like, Drew. You've sat in the commentary box. So obviously when this sort of thing happens, uh, we sit up there and pontificate about who should do what and whether they should or whether they shouldn't. And a lot of people were concerned that maybe it was going on one year too long. That was something that you never thought about? Oh No, I definitely thought about that, yeah. Um, I I thought about, you know, making a a joke of it, or making a joke of myself by playing on and, and it all going belly up and you know after six weeks I kind of you know I retire or I'm playing um, state league footy in the waffle for East Perth and yeah I, I, I ran through all those scenarios and what it's in my head um, that was that was almost that scary the scary nature of that thought spurred me on throughout pre-season at West Coast and and throughout all my games I played with the club I I had a lot to prove and certainly earned the respect, I wanted to earn the respect of my new teammates, but the, the, I guess the fear of it all going belly up was was uh, inspiring enough and motivation enough to make sure it didn't go that way. Timing is everything in life, isn't it? Because as it turns out, it was a pretty handy get for the West Coast Eagles with what happened to Nick Natanui and Scott Lice had also copped an injury, so you were Johnny on the spot, you were in the right place at the right yeah. time in lots of ways. Yeah, I was. Yeah, just as um, Scotty Lysett was was due to return, he was playing a practice game for East Perth and and um, and hurt his shoulder, and that put him out for another ten weeks. So um, that was horrible for Scotty. Um, uh, it was it sort of was good for me in a sense that I could um, assist and fill that 
that gap left by a few of the tall blokes who were injured. So uh, yeah, it all it all kind of it all went okay in a sense for, for me. But um, at the same time, um, it's great to see Scotty performing well this year and. I'm glad that uh, Nick's back and looking good as well. And how about the last couple of games you played, Drew? They'll rank up there, I guess, with some of the more memorable games you played. You had to beat Adelaide in that game at Subiaco to kick Melbourne out with everything that had happened there. Yeah. And then, of course, extra time in the final. It was uh, it was yeah. just remarkable in the last few games you played. Uh, yeah, they were. Uh, memories from those two last games will stick with me forever. The game against Adelaide... Uh, was the last game at Subiaco as well for West Coast. So there was so much theatre around that as well, which brought a huge crowd and an amazing atmosphere in. And the day before we were watching, or the boys were all tuned into Melbourne and Collingwood, and uh, there's a the players have a, a WhatsApp group. And as soon as uh, Collingwood beat Melbourne by the that the margin that the WhatsApp group was going nuts with excitement. The boys knew the scenario and the equation and uh, the build-up, you know, Saturday night leading into that Sunday game against Adelaide was just massive and, and everyone brought their A game that day and, yeah, the memories will live with me forever. And then it led, led into Luke Shuey kicking that goal after the sign. I still see that from time to time and it, you know, makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and can't help but bring out a natural smile when I see that kick. So, fond memories. And, I mean, the, the, the week that followed, that was a, a hiding from the Giants. So, that I mean, it didn't end all that well. And I, I had uh, didn't have that much of a game myself. So, it was a bad ending. But, uh, yeah, I tend to forget that one and reflect upon the two weeks prior. So, given that that was the last of 332 at that stage, did it cross your mind to think, I don't want to go out? I don't want to bow out like that. I, I reckon I've got <laughs> one more left in me. <laughs> no, I think that would have been the one year too many that you alluded to before, Pete, with your question. I knew that the uh, writing was on the wall, and and the positive for West Coast is that um, uh, Nick is coming. Nick was coming back. Scotty Lysett was coming back. Nathan Vardy had had an outstanding season as well. So the tall stocks were in you know in good hands with those three guys coming back in. And who would have thought that you would have bowed out alongside Matt Prittis, the Brownlow medalist, and Sam Mitchell, the Brownlow medalist, um, to yeah. play your last games for West Coast? It's a funny game, footy, isn't it? I bet you didn't dream of that for yeah. most of your career. <laughs> no, not at all. I was trying to hide when the three of us walked off uh, at the end of that game. I was a little bit embarrassed to be in their company, and I'd almost finished once already and had been clapped off um the year before when I finished for North Melbourne against Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. So I'd had that sort of nice applause from the crowd and the opposing team, but it was nice to, to follow those two champions off, and that was such a bonus in playing that extra year was being able to play and call Sam Mitchell a teammate. Same with Matty Prentice, two champions of the game, and um, I've, I've learned so much of Sam. Um, such a football brain. He'll be a, a genius as a coach. I think he'll, he'll go all the way to the top of the coaching Pecking order, it's only a matter of time. And with Matty Prunis as well, just another elite preparer, hard-working, honest as the day long, as the days long type of bloke as well. So the, to play for another club was great, but to, to meet a new bunch of people and to play alongside so many champions was uh, a privilege as well. Now, just before we take our first break, we talked about the beautiful weather and everything in Perth. Uh, you're coming back to Ballarat, are you not? <laughs> to play surely this is madness if you're going to be over there with those blue skies and then you're coming back to Ballarat in the middle of winter what are you uh, doing yeah I haven't thought that through it's going to be 
in the middle of June, which will be in the dark depths of winter <laughs> in Ballarat especially, but I'm going to represent my old footy club, the Ballarat Swans. How did they manage to talk you into that? Oh, I still don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't know. No, I, well, that's where the journey began, I guess, and that's where my enjoyment and love for footy started. So uh, if I didn't like footy or if I didn't enjoy the club environment, then I may not have pursued it like I did. So I've got them to thank as, uh, as the place where it started. And it's a game against Redan, who is a bit of a traditional rival of Ballarat. And, and, and I remember the under-16 grand final against Redan at, uh, Eastern, at the Eastern Oval in Ballarat was, was where... I lost my first grand final and I've never forgiven them since. So <laughs> maybe, maybe it's an opportunity to get one back on them. All right. Well, that's coming up on the Queen's birthday weekend, I think, Drew. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, Queen's birthday weekend it is. So uh, Saturday up, up at uh, Alfred and Oval. I grew up about, I don't know, about 400 metres away from the Oval. So uh, it'd be nice to go back and represent the Ballarat Swans in the red and white stripes. We can't wait to see you freezing in the middle of winter after all of that Perth weather. <laughs> we're going to yeah. take we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about those formative days in Ballarat and how you made it to the big time at North Melbourne. Drew Petrie is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. More with Drew after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And it is terrific to have Drew Petrie as my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Drew, you talked about the fact that Ballarat has been a very big part of your life. Tell us about growing up in Ballarat and and just uh, how much you loved footy as a kid. Yeah, it was, it was a, I was a, well, I suppose a typical boy back in the, uh, in the mid-90s. You'd play cricket in the summer and footy in winter. And uh, my older brother, he... he played footy at the Ballarat Swans as well and my sister was a basketballer so there was sport in the family and we all loved our weekends of uh, riding our bikes or walking down to the Alfred and Oval and, and playing in the juniors or if you play the juniors at another venue then you'd get back to the Oval as quick as you could in the afternoon to watch the seniors play and you'd sit around the fence and help out on the scoreboard or or push out cars that got bogged after the game because they, were, <laughs> they parked along the up, along the fence and you know on a, on a bit of a, a gradient so they couldn't back out. So whatever you could do around the footy club on the weekend, you'd just hang around and you'd hope someone gave you a job because you just loved the environment that the footy club presented and and yeah, that's where your your love for footy grew. And from a supporter's point of view, I think you were a Bombers supporter, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. Absolute one-eyed, absolute Peter. I uh, I love the Bombers, and I was sitting in the Ponts, what was the Ponts, I suppose it's called, the Pontsford Stand still before it got a, a renovation and watched Essendon beat Melbourne in the 2000 Grand Final. So I was cheering on the Bombers, and then uh, a couple of months later, North Melbourne read my name out and uh, was fortunate enough or, or unfortunate to play against Essendon round one, 2001, after uh, after they'd won the premiership and we got thumped at North Melbourne by about 80 points. So they become a bit of a rival, all that, you know, albeit three months after I was cheering them home in the grand final. Now, one of the reasons that you were a Bombers supporter is that blood is thicker than water. You had an uncle who was playing for the Bombers, did you not? Yes, I did. Yeah, Uncle Ron, Andrew's is mum's brother. And, uh, yeah, so there's a bit of a history, I guess, in, in the family and 
some sporting history, if you like. Um, yeah, he got along to a few games when he could, and people always talk of Ron for his uh, his tough nature, and and uh, I think he was just, you know, just trying to keep up with the times through the 70s and the 80s. It was a pretty rough period for footy, and um, I don't think I've met too many more placid people than as placid as Ron. So uh, he's he's uh, certainly uh, the the reputation from his on-field stuff sort of doesn't match the man that uh, that we all well as his family members know. Well, it's very interesting you should say that because the guest on our program next week is going to be Campbell Brown, who obviously you're aware of. And I think uh, perhaps Campbell suffered from the same affliction as Ronnie, and that was a little bit of white line fever. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, you you do whatever you can on the footy field to win a game of footy, and yeah, you've got a sort of sink or swim mentality at times too. So there's, um, I don't blame Campbell for being like he was or for, for Ron having sort of a, a reputation uh, of being a bit rough and rugged at times either. So, yeah, you're just trying to keep your head above water, I think. And um, it's a bit of, uh, once you've crossed a footy field, I mean, there's only so much you can get away with now. So you've got to try and bluff, bluff your way through. Fake it till you make it, don't they say? So, yeah. Am I right in saying that you actually could have been a bomber at one stage early in your career? Didn't they have a bit of a sniff around? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they um, at the end of my end of my second year at North Essendon did offer me two years. Yeah, so um, that that's the only contract I saw from another club in my career up until the West Coast thing come about, which was obviously after North Melbourne had said there was nothing else. So there was a two-year contract sitting on the table to go to Essendon in front of me. What and, made you stay uh, at Arden Street, Drew? Um, I, I, the people, the, the teammates and just that mateship that I built in two years was was, was what held me there. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. North were going through a different, say different, a, a challenging phase. They had no money. Um, there was uncertainty about whether the club would have to relocate, even, even back as early as 2003. Um, yeah, so those woes um, signalled uncertainty, but it was the people at the footy club that you could never break that bond. So despite what was going on in the peripheral, you know, the administration side and the business side of North Melbourne, the players were firm and they were going to stick together no matter what. So that unity that developed in two years, I, I couldn't leave that. So. I'd have probably had a little bit more advice from, sorry, more people that I spoke to thought that it would be good to move to Essendon, a bit more stable, and they were the club that I barracked for as a junior. So it was almost like a fairy tale could come true, but um, I'm so glad that I didn't make the move and stuck with North. That unity that you spoke of can be a very powerful force in football, but there was another thing that happened to the club at that time that brought everyone even closer together, and it was one of the tragedies of life for Australians who can mm. remember it, the Bali bombings. Yep. What sort of time was that at the club to know what Jason McCartney had been through and, and Mick Martin and everybody else who had yeah. been involved in that? It must have been an extraordinary difficult time. Yeah, oh, very difficult. I, I remember seeing Jason, it would have been three days before that happened. Um, we, the team had a footy trip to New Orleans and I was leaving on a different flight. I went to Las Vegas after New Orleans and Jason was flying back to Australia then straight to Bali to extend his holidays. So I remember Jason seeing us all off and making sure that everyone was in their taxis to the airport 
in the morning. So I saw Jason and then three days later in Vegas to hear this news of the bombings that had gone off and straight away we knew some of the boys were there and, and, and then the rest of the news came to hand and we all know what played out from there. But to see just the strength of an individual um, and to hear stories of Jason you know, uh, putting other people on those medivac flights out of Bali back to Australia. It doesn't surprise me, given that's the sort of teammate he was around the footy club as well, putting others before him. And uh, I remember Spider Burton telling a story of um, rooming with Jason when we were up on a community camp in Canberra. And, and Jason had to get up an hour and a half prior to everyone else to, you know, apply the healing creams to his skin and then put on those full-length body skins um, and then the same at night. It'd take an hour and a half to take those full-length body skins off and apply the healing cream at night time. So, you know, a lesser person would have given up and, you know, not wanted to try to get back to uh, living normally, let alone living, I guess, normally and, and then making it back onto the AFL footy field. It's just an incredible achievement. I think the game is so full of indelible images, but one that will always stick with me is the night that he played and when he announced yeah. his retirement on the ground after the game. That will be, I'm sure, one of the images they talk about for as long as they're playing this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he t- told a few of uh, the the older players, the senior players, those closer to him prior to the game that that was it. But being a youngster still at the time, I didn't know until... Uh, I think Tony Jones was yep. uh, interviewing Jason after the game and and he said, and Jason said words to the effect of, that's it, I'm done, that was my last game. Um, and I heard it sort of echo around um, Dockland Stadium and and it took a while to sink in that, oh, that's, that's it, you're, you're finished now. I thought to come back and to play an AFL game again was such a huge achievement, but he, he was obviously absolutely stuffed and it took so much out of him to get back there that he just knew he couldn't sustain it so that really shocked me on the night and um, I was pretty pretty emotional I was only 21 and you know you don't like to, to admit it being an emotional person at maybe at that age but I remember after the game I bawled my eyes out in the in the room um, just the just an overwhelming sense of um, yeah of, of, I guess of sadness that he was retiring um, but also just to see what he went through was um, so inspiring to others. I don't think you were by yourself that night, Drew. I think everyone who was watching yeah. it on TV, myself included, if you didn't have a tear in the eye yeah. that night, you were pretty hard-hearted about things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was. Yeah, I wasn't the only one. I won't. I won't talk anyone else in. But yeah, it was. It was just. Um, yeah, it was so touching for. Um, you know, so inspiring for Jason to play again, and then. Uh, when he retired, it was. Yeah, you, sort of, you also knew that it was. You know him saying, "I've, I've given my all. I've, I've got back, but I can't keep doing this." And that was, I suppose, that was what the overwhelming sadness came from. We touched on the galvanising effect that that had on the football club, but there were other things that kept North together as a group. Because let's be honest, you were in the have-nots compared to the likes of Collingwood mm-hmm. and all of the bigger clubs who had this magnificent setup at whatever the centre was called those days for Collingwood down at the Glass House. But yeah. North was always yeah. two steps behind, if you like with your facilities they they weren't exactly state-of-the-art were they no no they weren't um the the now knocked down and condemned old grandstand we used to do the do our weights up underneath that and 
as time went by, after you do a set using some dumbbells, you you know you drop the dumbbells on the floor, and gradually the the floorboard underneath would start to crack and crack and crack, and then it'd give way. Uh, so you'd have to move the bench along a little bit further until that part of the floor gave way. And if anything needed repairing, it was um, we had some fantastic volunteers that would assist the repairs, but you'd also see the the players um, chip in on a Saturday afternoon and. If something needed fixing, they'd do it themselves. So uh, we never we never saw or, or, or thought of that We'd, we were missing out. There was never any 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 uh, acknowledgement of maybe we're missing out on things or they've got shinier equipment than us. It was more of a, a galvanising thing, and we felt that was something that we had on other clubs was that unity we could develop out of not having as much was greater than those that had all the fancy equipment, gym equipment, nice facilities. So it, we used that to our advantage. Didn't didn't look at it, at it to make an excuse of it. Well, given the facilities you didn't have at your disposal, the club did an exceptional job of um, reaching the finals on a consistent basis after those premierships late in the 90s. But you were still yeah. a very competitive lineup uh, against the odds in lots of ways. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we got used got used to that, and I think it almost still exists a little bit at North. Is uh, is you know, is, is we're not quite. You still haven't quite got that level of respect that um, the club will be aiming for. And I think that'll that'll come once you, the club starts to to win some premierships again, which is hopefully soon. But um, yeah, the the I can remember times where we'd have uh, we had sort of. The, the old portable classrooms that you see, you know, lots on school sites around the country, and uh, any time that the, the footy department office would move, or there'd be new desks moved into a different part of the building, we'd we'd jump at the opportunity to, to renovate this room ourselves and make it our players' room. And again, Saturday afternoons, you'd be knocking down walls and painting things and lifting couches through, and we'd, we'd be ringing club sponsors to see if we can get a you know a couch at a decent price or a TV at a better price so that uh, we'd always be willing to pitch in and, and never thought we'd missed out too much and um, and that's what built us up to be such a unified group it was at your time at the club too that you might have thought that you would have been seeing some blue skies somewhere else did you really think that you were heading to the Gold Coast at one stage because that seemed to be the direction the club was taking yeah yeah, yeah, I did. Um, in, the, in the 12 months leading into the Gold Coast, you're saying it's, it's now or never, we were doing a lot of promotional work up there, a lot of school visits, a lot of pre-season competition games. Our community camp would be up there. I remember getting flown up there with a bunch of plays and they fly up our partners as well. So we had a weekend of filming ads and uh, doing commercials and appearances and you know the AFL was putting us up for three or four nights to really sell ourselves but sell our AFL into into the Gold Coast so we were doing a heap of stuff and I thought it was I thought we were poised to move and uh, if the move had have been vetoed and ticked off by the club then I would have been happy to stay at North Melbourne and and and, and move up to the Gold Coast I didn't have any any kids or, or at the time I, I I had my my now wife Nicole. We were we spoke about what would happen if this happens because we had to go through the what ifs and we were going to we'd go and stay as stay as North Melbourne. Um, but I think North Melbourne would have quickly became something else, and um, which would have been horrible. So I was willing to stick it out though if we had to move.
We mentioned, Drew, some of the memorable games you played in. When we come back on the other side of the break, I want to talk about one particular game. It was a big game in the history of the North Melbourne Football Club, and that was Glenn Archer's 300th game. Ah, And it wasn't a bad game for you either. We'll touch on that when we come back on the other side of the break. Drew Petrie is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it really is a pleasure for me to have Drew Petrie as my special guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Drew, we talked about that milestone game for Arch in round 13, 2007, his 300th game. Your game was all right that day. Well, I didn't really turn up after half-time, Pete. I think uh, I got ahead of myself in the change rooms and might have been counting how many goals I might have kicked instead of going out there and continuing to kick them. I actually ended up playing as a spare man across half-back in the last quarter. So, Although six, in the, six snags in the first quarter was probably reasonable going. Yes, it wasn't too bad, Pete. I better correct you. It was six goals in 20 minutes. Oh, right. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Yes. So 20 minutes just to get, just for the just for the record books, 20 minutes. Uh, sorry anyway, to understate you there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, uh, that was a good day. And I remember uh, the build-up Archers 300th and running out. They had, uh, I think it was 300 kids lining up, which... Uh, We'd run through, and then the banner was waiting at the end of it. So the whole leading was was really uh, impressive and inspiring, and you could you do you do whatever you want. You could do as much as you wanted for Glen Archer because you'd know he'd do the same for you. So uh, we all wanted to impress him. And uh, early on, uh, my opponents—I don't think they paid me too much respect. I managed to take a few marks quite easily, and found myself on my own a couple of times and kicked a few goals and uh, had a good day. What about your 300th, Drew? You became the fifth kangaroo to reach 300 games. And I remember the build-up to that game against St Kilda because at the time you'd started doing some commentary with us and and everybody yeah. knew that you were uh, capable of handling yourself in the media. It must have been that everybody wanted a piece of you in the lead-up to that game. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting week. I, I enjoyed the opportunity to, to talk on different shows and different radio networks and and reflect because a lot of the interviewees or interviewers would um, bring up stuff that you probably didn't think about from time to time and 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 teammates past teammates would get in touch and it was nice all that that was all really touching but it had become a little bit straining by the end of the week and I was glad the game came about when it did um, I understand there's a fair bit of fuss to make over someone playing 300 games because it doesn't happen that often, and I really appreciated all the well wishes, and it was it was really enjoyable. But at the same time, it, I was glad when I was out on the field and could start playing the game, and I was glad on the Monday, the following week, that there was no hype, no hysteria, that it was could just be business as usual because it was. Uh, a good week, but, uh, yeah, a bit of a demanding week at the same time. At least you got the chocolates that day. You won. We won. Yeah, I kicked the first goal of the game, which was by fluke almost. The ball bounced my way. The footy got smiled on me, and uh, we beat St Kilda. Uh, yeah, I kicked a couple of goals. I had family and friends and, and a lot of loved ones there, which was great. So it, 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 was, a, it was a nice day. Got, got to share it with so many people. I invited a lot of family members and old coaches and friends who um, helped me get to get to enjoy AFL from the start or enjoy football as a kid. So 
it all panned out really well. We touched a bit, Drew, on what happened at the end of your time at North Melbourne. It's very hard for anyone to be told that they're no longer part of long-term plans in any form of life, not to feel, not bitterness, but a bit of disappointment. Was there any sense at all of disappointment that had happened to you and to Boomer and to Nicky Dow and to Spud Ferrito? As a collective or individually, did you feel disappointed with the way that it was all handled? Like, I didn't have the disappointment there, but people would come up to me and express their disappointment of the situation. And I had a lot of people talk to me about, oh, the club didn't handle that very well and, and you know, you could have played on or, or Boomer could have played on for sure. And um, maybe maybe people telling me that a lot, they almost tried to... I think I felt like they were trying to convince me that I should be disappointed, but I wasn't because I understood that the club, you know, we weren't going to win a premiership in the next couple of years so I understood that the club had to move a few of us on and build for the new premiership tilt and you've only got to look at the evidence of how well Ben Brown is playing at the moment and to to think that if I hung around one more year we might not have I might have you know hampered Ben's progression and um, gotten his way even in the forward line um, I would have hated to have done that so the couple of years that he's had since I've left have been outstanding and, and, and I wouldn't have wanted to hamper that in any way. So, uh, so you've got to look at the evidence with these things and is our forward line in capable hands since I left? Absolutely it is. One last thing. Uh, we touched on what would turn out to be your last game with West Coast, which was a 10-goal thumping. As it turns out, you were actually used to it by that stage because what you thought was going to be your last game was a bit of a thumping at the yeah. hands of Adelaide as well. That was a 10-goal margin. Yeah, yeah, it was a rotten night as well. Yeah, they thumped us. Um, yeah, that. Yeah, we sort of limped into the finals that year after winning. I think it was nine of the first ten games. We were going really well, and then we won one or two of the next ten. So it was a very different season. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a lot of confidence in the group leading into that game, and copped a fair hiding. So it was nice the following year to get back to Adelaide Oval and beat Port to get some kind of redemption against the South Australian clubs. Anyway, I'm not going to have any more bad memories. We're going to take a break. When I come back, there are a couple of other things that I want to ask you about. One is something to do with Frank the Tank. And the other thing is to do with a time, seriously, where you might have feared for your life on the football field. We'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break with Drew Petrie. Final segment coming up on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Our final segment with uh, one of football's nice guys, Drew Petrie. Um, and I say that advisedly, Drew, because you are. And, yeah. um, well, Frank the Tank just proved what a what a very individual <laughs> character you were. What was this Frank the Tank uh, celebration going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, well, it was a horrible night of the Jeep of myself up until maybe that point. Uh, Paddy Ryder had just kicked a goal in the fourth quarter of a, an elimination final. And uh, he kicked that goal on me after some lazy defending. And I thought, right, I've had a horrible night. I haven't had a kick. We're going to bow out of the finals. And that'll be the end of that. And fortunately for me, there was a uh, Jack Zeeble cleared the footy um, forward. It rolled. I, I was playing on Kale Hooker, and, and I thought he'd be right up my backside. But I gathered a ground ball, snapped it over my shoulder, and the emotion of the moment, and there was about 70,000 people at the G, and there was a bit of a roar went up, and the footy went through and 
just felt on the spot that it, that goal or snap goal to put us back in front needed to be, uh, you know, needed to or required a little celebration. And that's what happened. I, I did it. There was no pre-planning or pre-warning that I was going to do that. It just come about and not too many people have forgotten that. That was a, a funny bit, but um, there was one particular incident where it wasn't funny and it involved Brian Lake and uh, I think he was suspended for four weeks uh, for effectively choking you. Now, I remember speaking to you about it at the time and you didn't want to say too much because you were still playing. Did you fear for your life? Was it that serious? Uh, I think that's probably a bit extreme to say that I feared for my life. I, I knew that um, I knew that I needed to sort of get out of underneath him um, and stop him from doing what he was doing. But I never, I never feared for my life as such. Um, yeah, that was it. Was never going to go that far. But so you yeah, didn't feel was, as though you were blacking out, or you, you know, you were almost at the point of no return. No, I wasn't quite at that point, but I was getting there. That's yeah. why I, um, yeah, I, that's why I had to grab and I, had to, I think I effectively only had to punch him in the face a couple of times to try and get him off me. But um, no, I, 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 I couldn't breathe for a moment, and then that's when I knew straight away that um, I had to had to react and did what I did, and I was really disappointed um, that I was um, suspended. For I think I was suspended, or whether it was just a fine, but I think I copped a week for eye gouging him in that incident. So um, I was really disappointed that the tribunal at that time handed down that punishment to me for for just I guess you know trying to defend myself. I was laying flat on my back, um, so that I think that suspension that irked me more than than Brian's actions. So um, I had to go to the tribunal and get myself off in the first place. Um, so I wanted because I wanted to play the following week, and what irked me as well is that um, I was approached by the opposing legal counsel um, prior to the hearing, and and uh, they implied that I was making it all up, and that it wasn't as serious as it was, and that you know, can you help him out, sort of stuff, and that nearly saw red, nearly threw the chair at the opposing legal counsel, but. That person managed to walk out of the room, and that made me a bit more angry. So, um, yeah, I got I got off, and then I left. I didn't have to give any evidence in in Brian's case at the tribunal. I just had to get myself off my suspension or my charge, and so I could play the following week. And once I'd done that, we left the tribunal, and then his case uh, took place. Knowing you as I do, it takes a fair bit to rile you. You are, you are one of the most placid people that I've ever met in football. So for that to happen, that must have been really getting up your nose, what they suggested there. Yeah, it did. And I'm always happy to, you know, the players code out there, you look after each other, absolutely. Um, as I said, I never had, didn't have to give any evidence in Brian's case. The tribunal made their mind up... Um, from the evidence that he spoke about, from the I guess the prosecutor, uh, I didn't have to say anything, so there was I had nothing to do with that case. But um, I guess to to be approached and and it to be you know put in front of me that I might have been carrying on a bit or may have um, been making certain parts of this up or, or or the severity of it was I was making it up that really got under my skin and yeah. It's um yeah it still does I, I kind of 
I wish I had my time again in, in that in that room when the uh, representative um, put that talk put that in front of me that uh, that I may have just been carrying on a bit. So um, what would you do yeah. if you had your time again, Drew, uh, in that room? <laughs> No, nah. well, I was—I didn't say much, Pete. I—I um, I got hot under the collar, but um, I uh, didn't raise my voice or anything like that. Um, the representative just, after he put it to me, the conversation lasted about five more seconds, and it was all amicable. And it—and it, and then only after the fact did I think, hang on, he's just—you know—implying that I've, you know, I'm weak of character. He's—he's he's challenging my. Um, um, yeah, my character, I guess, in 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 what I was, sta- what I had to, in the way I had to react in the game, and and what really went on, and um, yeah, certain things bugged me, and that really did. So you didn't actually tell him to go forth and multiply. You're a better man than me. I, yeah, no, I no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I uh, no, I, I, I wanted to be certainly respectful, but at the same time. Um, that is a two-way street, and I don't think respect was shown my way in that instance. Do you bump into Brian at all? Yeah, I've seen Brian a few times since, and yeah, no, we're we're fine. Uh, well, I think we are. Um, you see him uh, towards the end of our careers. You cross paths at various events and things, and yeah, we we talk, and yeah, no, no there's no dramas there. It's um, there's one of those things you see all the time. Uh, players who have had run-ins. Um, getting along fine and yeah there's no um, ill feeling or bitterness at all yeah, I suppose if Dermot Burton and Mark Yates can still nod at each other and get on okay then yeah. there's hope for everybody else yeah Dennis Banks and uh, Reece David Rhys Jones yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. one last thing uh, I've mentioned the fact that I've had the pleasure of sharing the commentary box with you on many occasions and your insights into football I always enjoyed is that something that you'd like to continue to do in the future or are you going down a different path yeah when I was a player, I was really fortunate that North Melbourne were um, really accepting of me doing some sort of comments in the box on, on on opponents and different games. I definitely really enjoyed doing it and I'd love a few more opportunities, but I guess I've got to choose uh, my moments where I might be able to get away with it before uh, or otherwise West Coast might think there's a bit too much conflict and they might uh, knock it on the head before it gets going. Well, I hope we do get to do it at some stage in the future because it was always enjoyable and it was always yeah, enjoyable so. to watch you over the 332 games. And um, football is all about numbers, 332 games, 444 goals, all of the goal kicking, leading goal kicking awards you got, the All-Australian. But I think one of the best accolades that everybody gives to you is that you are one of the genuinely great blokes in football. Thank you for being the way you are and thanks for the great football career that you had. It was a pleasure to share it with you in some little way. Oh, no worries, Peter. I appreciate your kind words and uh, I love my time in the game and um, you certainly spend longer out of the game than in it, so maybe that's uh, why I approached my career the way I did. Enjoy the Golden West. Thanks, Pete. Drew Petrie, my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed the chat with one of the kangaroos greatest. And we'll be back with another edition of the show same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.